This is Africa Digest. It is 17 hours Central African time. A very good afternoon and welcome to it. It's Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. My name is Luyanda Maume, and with me on the show is Joalani Tulo with Sani Matebula and Mosibudi Makura. Let's take a look at your top stories now. Jubilations in Harare as people expect to be addressed by Zimbabwe's incoming leader. Visual impairment remains a significant health problem globally. In our economic South African cement producers board turns its back on a takeover attempt by AFISEM. And in sports, Nigeria Football Federation to pay players and officials a total of $2.4 million as a bonus. Details on these and other stories as we progress with the show right now. It's a minute after five. Let's get the news. Here's Jolani Tulo. Thank you, Luanda. Good afternoon. Former Vice President of Zimbabwe, Emerson Mnangagwa, has arrived in Zimbabwe to be sworn in as the country's interim leader on Friday. He is expected to address supporters at the ZANU-PF headquarters in Harare and hold a media briefing. He met with President Jacob Zuma before his departure from South Africa. Robert Mugabe resigned as President on Tuesday after 37 years at the helm following mounting pressure from the people of his country and political parties. Chris Alder-Lewis reports from Harare. jubilation. Many buses have come here to welcome Emerson Nangawa, who we understand will give a short speech here at the ZANU-PF headquarters. These ZANU-PF supporters and members say the man that they are waiting for will change the fortunes of Zimbabwe. Meanwhile, South Africa's ruling ANC says the country and world must continue to respect former Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe for the role he played as freedom fighter. Secretary General Gwede Mandashe said they hope Mnangagwa will rebuild the country to its former glory. On the question of Zimbabwe, ZANU-PF is our sister party and we have taken a view that says we must continue respecting Mugabe for the role he played as a freedom fighter. We must continue supporting him for advocating the Africa's development program. We must celebrate him as a pan-Africanist and the role he played over the last decades. We are hoping that... uh, Our comrade in Zimbabwe will rebuild Zimbabwe to its former self, a prosperous country, a beautiful country, a beautiful neighbor. Reports from Nigeria claim that over 100 people have been killed and dozens others injured over the last 48 hours in two separate attacks. The incidents occurred in Nigeria's Adamawa state. The death toll from Tuesday's suicide bombing at a mosque has risen to 60. In a separate gun attack, 45 people were shot and killed by unknown gunmen. The death toll from both attacks now stands at 105. The governor of Adamawa state, Mohamed Uma Jilbrila, says security has been increased 
no group has yet claimed responsibility for the incidents. The area where the mosque is situated was once the headquarters of the Bokhara militant group. Lebanon Prime Minister Saad Hariri says he's postponing his resignation, which he had unexpectedly announced two weeks ago while in Saudi Arabia. Hariri says the postponement is in response to a request from President Michael Aoun, the BBC's Martin Patience. Hasmo. Speaking at the presidential palace, Saad Hariri said he presented his resignation to the country's president. But then Michelle Aoun asked for more time to discuss the reasons for Mr Hariri stepping down. There is now likely to be days of backroom dealing in order to resolve this political crisis. Significantly, in a previous TV address, Mr Hariri opened up the possibility that he may remain in power. But he stated that the Iranian-backed Hezbollah group must respect Lebanon's policy of staying out of regional conflicts. And finally, Brand South Africa says it welcomes the results of the 2017 Mo Ibrahim Index of African Governance, which saw South Africa retain its rank of six out of 54 countries assessed in the index. Every year, the Mo Ibrahim Index of African Governance assesses the performance of all 54 African countries in categories such as human rights, the rule of law, sustainable economic opportunities and human development. Brand South Africa's Pietras Takok. We remain at number six um, on the index. And I think what we find interesting this year, you know, is there's four categories that they use, you know, to measure the overall governance, which is safety and rule of law, uh, participation in human rights, uh, sustainable economic opportunity, and human development. And I think what um, helped us retain that position is that we see in safety and rule of law, if you go to the statistical score, you know, there's a 1.4 increase uh, of our performance, as well as in participation in human rights which also moves us up in ranking on that front. So I think as a transparent democratic uh, system, you know, I think that's very important to see that we are continuing with a slow process you know, of improvement um, on, on those measures. For Channel Africa, I'm Jorani Tulo. Let's say thank you very much there to Zualane with that uh, news update. And remember, she's back at half past five Central African time to give you the news headlines. But right now, it's approaching seven minutes after five Central African time. And welcome to it. It's Africa Digest on Channel Africa giving you news from an African perspective. And straight on to our first story now. Incoming Zimbabwean President Emerson Mnangagwa is expected uh, in Harare anytime soon where he will address the scores of supporters and well-wishers. Now joining us on the line from Harare is our correspondent Simon Muchema. Simon, good afternoon and welcome to Channel Africa. Good afternoon, how are you? Very well, thank you, Simon. Can you tell me, what is the current situation right now? Uh, the atmosphere to electric uh, supporters are actually from the Zanopiev headquarters in the capital. In the morning, they started off by going to the airport because there was news that uh, the incumbent president, Emerson Munangagwa, was arriving at uh, past one in the afternoon. But uh, later, we hear that uh, it's maybe for security reasons. Then some were saying that uh, he could have uh, gone to see President Jacob Zuma before he came to Zimbabwe, and that delayed uh, his uh, exit in South Africa. But it's expected any time now because uh, most journalists even who had gone to the uh, army uh, 
Obviously, Simon, you've had a time to, to interact with the people there. What is the general feeling in terms of what happens to, to, to former President Mugabe? Do we let him? Do, do people vote that he? The, the, everyone just lets him go to rest, or at least some some sort of retribution is sought against him. In actual fact, we spoke to a number of politicians, uh, some in the opposition, others in the ruling uh, party. There is that sense of uh, belonging to, should I say, to Robert Mugabe? They respect the legacy. That Robert Mugabe uh, in the country, and you see that uh, because of what Mugabe did for the country from pre-independence uh, and post-independence, they respect him so much as an individual. The only challenge came a few years back when then his wife came in and there were challenges in the ruling party, and they were saying that uh, because of his age as well, they wouldn't want him to have anything. Uh, uh, security-wise, uh, to be uh, to be harmed or something like that is something that someone they respect and they want him protected as much as possible. They respect him, and even today, if you were to walk in town, I don't think there will be anybody with, with that wish to, to to harm him or even do anything that is really to him because of the legal Zimbabwe and the respect pre, uh, former President Robert Mugabe. That's the sentiment that we are getting here. But uh, speaking to the former Minister of the War Veterans, mm. just now when you were arriving here, you were saying that uh, uh, everything that happened had to be done, and they are happy that uh, now Emerson Mnanga was the president, because he's someone who understands the wishes of the Zimbabweans, not just Zimbabweans, but and even the youth, and more, more so uh, even the wishes of the war veterans. And you are saying that our biggest challenge is the economy and Emerson Nanga but first task is to make sure that the economy is back on the or, or, or on its feet. Is that the say is that the feeling you're getting from people that uh, it, perhaps that is the priority that Mr Nangagwa should pay attention to as he comes into the leadership of the country? To be honest with you, I want to believe that uh, uh, President Nangagwa is someone who's been in government for thirty seven years as well. He's a former world liberation fighter. He understands the feeling on the ground, what Zimbabweans are saying across political divide. Mm. He's someone who knows exactly what is at stake. He knows the challenge that he's likely going to face the moment he starts work as president. The first thing is the economy. The second thing is uh, legitimacy. And the third thing is unity among the Zimbabweans. And those are the key things that many Zimbabweans are saying. Even if we were to go to election, uh, tomorrow, if Emerson Mnangagwa is the president right now, it shows and indicates that uh, he is going to address those things, not in a corruption happening under President Robert Mugabe. Then Emerson Mnangagwa, whether he is the or any other political party, is likely going to get 
massive support even during the election. Now, Simon, before I let you go, just give us a recap of what is expected to happen right now outside the headquarters of ZANU-PF. Uh, right now, people are waiting for him to come. They've been waiting this morning. Some have come now from the airport, so we expect him to come any minute now. Because uh, right now we have seen it. the top officials in ZANU-PF have arrived and they've gone inside waiting for their new president to come. Uh, uh, and I want to believe that um, uh, Mnanga, for the moment he arrives, this is going to be uh, a, a, a welcome that is uh, going to shock the world because um, to, today he seems to be the most popular person in Zimbabwe. Everyone is glued to their televisions for live updates as well. Then this is also feeding live updates. People want to see first for the first time. But uh, there are other people who are saying that uh, this man I think he knew what was happening, and this was happening, because uh, two weeks ago when he was fired from government, he sent a message uh, on Twitter, and he said that I'll be back in Zimbabwe in two weeks' time to be done including you, Robert Mugabe. And uh, uh, true to his word, two weeks uh, down the line, he's already president, and he's already coming to lead, even Robert Mugabe in Zanupiev, and even because let me leave you with those prophetic words as you soak in the atmosphere there, Simon. Thank you very much for taking time to talk to us. Thank you so much. That is our correspondent, Simon Muchema, joining us on the line from Harare outside the ZANU-PF headquarters where they are expecting the incoming Zimbabwean president, Emerson Mnangagwa, to arrive anytime. In fact, people are, are waiting there to give him a hero's welcome. Let's move on to another story, still dealing with Zimbabwean issues. Now, Robert Mugabe's resignation brings to an end one of the most remarkable political careers in modern African history. Born into a Catholic family in the British colony of southern Rhodesia in 1924, Robert Mugabe played a leading role in ending white rule. But his long years in power presiding over the brutal suppression of dissent, land seizures, economic collapse and hyperinflation saw him reviled as a tyrant. The BBC's Andrew Hardin looks back at the career of the man who until yesterday was the world's oldest leader. To begin with, he was a hero, the liberation fighter who guided Zimbabwe to independence after decades of white minority colonial rule. I, Robert Gabriel Mugabe, do swear that I will be faithful. And afterwards, the message at first to the white population was one of reconciliation. Our main concern should now be to join hands in building our country so that we can create a new Zimbabwe with a new national faith, a new national love, binding all its people. For a time, the economy prospered, the country seemed well run, but Mr Mugabe soon showed a ruthless streak, crushing his opponents, and by the year 2000, as the economy struggled and political opposition grew, he lashed out, sending his supporters to take over white-owned farms violently. This Zimbabwe is for black people, not for white. The result was catastrophic. The economy collapsed. To stay in power, Mr Mugabe's ZANU-PF party began rigging elections and terrorising its opponents. Western sanctions followed. And hyperinflation, the currency collapsing in spectacular fashion. But an ageing president refused to back down. I will declare the fight to be, to be on. And it will be a fight to the finish, I can tell you.
and they won't win the fight, we will win it. But it was his second wife, Grace, who proved to be his undoing. Her lavish spending made her unpopular, but it was when Zimbabweans realised that Grace was being groomed to succeed her husband that things changed dramatically. No one wanted a dynasty, least of all the military. And with a power struggle growing inside the governing ZANU-PF party, the army intervened last week. And now, after days of drama, a man who might once have left office, an African icon, was forced out, his humiliation complete. That report there by the BBC's Andrew Harding brings us to almost 17 minutes after 5 Central African time. Let's take a short break. We're back after this. You are with Africa Digest on Channel Africa, bringing you news from an African perspective. Attention to our listeners. From the 30th of October 2017, the first hour of Africa Digest will not be broadcast on Channel 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. The 1700-hour show will only be found on shortwave and online on www.channelafrica.co.za. Please note that this only applies to the 1700-hour Central African Time show. The 1900-hour Central African Time program will be back on all the platforms. Channel Africa, giving you an African perspective. Welcome back. It's 18 minutes after 5 Central African Time. You are still with Africa Digest here on Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective. My name is Luanda Maume. Remember, you can only find us on 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa, but you can also find us online on www.channelafrica.co.za. If you want to keep in touch with us, send us an email. It's info at, uh, info at channelafrica.co.za. And also on Twitter, we are on at channelafrica one at Channel Africa Numerical One. 18 minutes after five. Now, we continue to get reaction following the news of the resignation of Zimbabwe's former president, Robert Mugabe. The lobby group Human Rights Watch says Mugabe's resignation creates a golden opportunity for improving respect for human rights and freedoms in Zimbabwe. More from Deoma Vinga, Southern Africa Director at Human Rights Watch. Robert Mugabe's uh, legacy has been, you know, over the last 37 years, it was littered with serious human rights abuses, but we must be aware that the abuses were committed by enforcers who include those who are now taking over from him, and therefore accountability is unlikely. Now, well, a Human Rights Watch says that this resignation really does chart the way forward for an opportunity of improving the respect for human rights and freedom in Zimbabwe. Um, tell us a little bit more about this. Yes, what we're saying is that there is a golden opportunity in the sense that Mugabe is not there anymore uh, and that if there is political will from those who are taking over to work together with other players, civil society groups, the opposition, and have a clear framework towards uh, free and fair elections that can then set the stage for accountability, for human rights reform, and for a different political path going forward. But there is a danger that this incoming um, government, if it is backed by the military as it is, might ignore all these reforms and continue on the same path that has been charted by Mugabe for the last 37 years. 
A lot of Zimbabweans are really um, excited about seeing um, a hashtag what they have dubbed a new Zimbabwe. What should this government really be prioritizing on? Well, it's not quite a new Zimbabwe as yet, so I want to caution on the excitement. But in terms of priorities, there is need for a framework to dismantle the infrastructure of violence and, in fact, to deal with the kinds of things that have happened over this last week. That is, the military involvement in civilian and political affairs. There is need to ensure that going forward, never again will the military be the arbiter and guarantor of political power in Zimbabwe. Power must come from the ballot box and not from the barrel of the gun. That is Dewa Mavinga, Southern Africa Director at Human Rights Watch on the line talking there to Ziko Namiso. And also for more reaction, Channel Africa spoke to a Zimbabwean national currently staying here in South Africa. That is Tenda Morira. I think we're all very excited to see that um, uh, the president or well, the former president has finally stepped down and will uh, become a normal Zimbabwean, which is someone with a degree and sitting at home. Um, so <laughs> we're happy to see him go and we're happy that uh, uh, a new a new era has been ushered in. Mm-hmm. Um, don't 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 get that wrong. We are not uh, disillusioned by by uh, any 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 means of the word or on any mark. We know very well that this is a military takeover, and we know very well that this was uh, a military plan to keep ZANU-PF and the military in charge of the country. But it is a change in um, the manner in which the country will be ruled. What mm. we hope for now, and the reason that people are so excited, is because you've got uh, a resident population of uh, plus minus 13 million people who have yeah. been unemployed for the last 20 years, and they are now hoping that uh, someone at the top is going to make sound decisions that will allow for uh, free and fair elections and hopefully for the economy to reboot itself and begin to grow again. Now, as is expected, Tina, a focus is on Emerson Mnangaga now, who is, of course, um, expected uh, to be inaugurated on Friday as uh, the, the president of uh, Zimbabwe. Is Mnangaga the right man to chart the way towards a new Zim in your view? In my opinion... He, he is the man that is at the helm right now. Uh, Zimbabweans need to decide through elections as to whether or not he's the right man for them. Um, he is one of the people that, uh, whose who's, uh, refusal, I suppose, to come to Zimbabwe uh, pushed the president towards, or the former president towards resignation. And he is the person that is going to be in charge of the country right now in the interim. So he he hopefully is the right person to usher in free and fair democratic processes uh, to create a stable environment, in one in which investors would feel attracted to work with and within Zimbabwe. Uh, and hopefully he doesn't prove us wrong. Um, once we have those free and fair elections, mm, chances are things could go differently. You know, we may find ourselves with Zanu PF being the official opposition who knows and uh, uh, tina when we last spoke last week i mean uh, things were still unfolding at that time and uh, you could hardly um get a wink of sleep in because you were communicating with uh, friends and family back home okay. in in zimbabwe now having spoken to them uh, uh, since yesterday since the news broke what are just some of the general sentiments coming through from them who are actually in zimbabwe as we speak people are extremely excited um uh, i'll tell you i have a cousin who's been unemployed for the last five years not because she hasn't been looking. You know, she graduated uh, five years ago and has been sitting at home 
unable to get a job. Uh, what we had was a supermarket economy, one in which people were importing everything. Um, unfortunately, because people have been stuck in, 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 in the doldrums of what Zimbabwe had become, they, they're under the perception that things are going to change immediately. I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, uh, but things are not about to change immediately. There, there isn't a, a light switch that we can just flick and, and things immediately uh, change. But it is, once again, an opportunity that, that uh, everyone's been waiting for. Well, I mean, if, if, if we can see a change that is um, uh, that evident, you know, in just a few hours, one can only imagine um, uh, what is to unfold, you know, moving forward. But, Tino, um, a lot of people asking, will the Zimbabweans who are um, based in various parts of the world now be um, packing their bags and, and, and heading home? Is that is, is that to be expected? <laughs> Will you be making a trip home uh, anytime uh, soon? Zikona, you, you neglected to tell me you were a comedian as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's a little premature right now for us to start packing our bags. Um, perhaps it may become a more ideal um, holiday destination uh, for the for the uh, short term because uh, chances are the country will start using the rand, so it will be an easier transition. The rates might be a little different, but it will be an easier uh, process to go on holiday there. Um, we do, however, still need uh, infrastructure and industry, uh, which is where I imagine that South Africa, Namibia, Botswana, etc., neighboring countries would be uh, uh, knocking or banging down Zimbabwe's doors so that they can, they can come in and assist with those processes because it gives them uh, a unique opportunity mm. for, for trade and not aid. And, and once you get that trade process start, yeah. started, uh, everybody wins, especially the companies or the states that are. Tino Tenda Morira is a Zimbabwean citizen currently living here in South Africa. He was on the line talking there to Zico Namiso. Now, 260 more migrants from North Africa have arrived in Cameroon. The stranded migrants who were brought back home by the International Migration Organization say they worked as slaves, but many who arrived in Yaounde are ashamed of returning home. Their families had sold property to enable them to travel and they are back in need more than they left. Moki Kinzega report from Yaounde. Hundreds of youths shout to protest what they call the slavery their peers have been going through in North African countries as they receive the migrants at the Yaounin Simalen International Airport. She says shame to Libya that today they are still sold as slaves. Yolande Esso, who has organized the protest, says she is calling on the African Union to investigate and punish all those who inflict sufferings on other human beings. She says it is unacceptable that their brothers and sisters are auctioned. She says she is calling on the entire African continent to stand up against such acts and stop being silent and inactive because it is a sign of weakness. She says she is not weak and as such is standing up to say no to maltreatment of Africans. The migrants look exhausted with the majority of them unkempt as they disembark from a chartered plane. 22-year-old Neba Chris says he met the worst when he was arrested and systematically exposed to arbitrary and indefinite detention 
at the Abu Salim Detention Center in Tripoli alongside migrants, asylum seekers and refugees from Cameroon, Nigeria and Chad. My worst experience on the trip coming to Europe is from the desert, holding the stick back of the healers, something I've never done before in my life, holding the stick with the cold. IMO's Roger Charles Evina says his organization partnered with the government of Cameroon to bring back more than 400 migrants who have voluntarily accepted to return. He says he wants to honestly thank the government of Cameroon for its participation because by accepting to assist in bringing back the migrants, they have indicated that they will socially integrate them. He says the migrants will be given $150 each to enable them buy food and gifts for their children, spouses and relatives who had been expecting much from them since they left and that their families have been expecting much from them, thinking that they will bring many things from their adventure. Cameroon government says 120,000 of its citizens are illegal migrants in difficult conditions on their way to North Africa and Europe. The country has created schemes like the Integrated Support Fund for Actors of the Informal Sector to give up to $5,000 to youths who are returning to invest in agriculture and craftsmanship. Among the migrants were six pregnant women who said they were raped and may never know the fathers of their babies, but that their kids will look like Arabs. Last April, groups of Africans living in Europe called No More Deaths in the Desert or on the Sea visited Cameroon to launch a campaign against illegal migration. Its mission was to educate youth in Africa about the harsh realities of illegal migration. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka in Yaoundé. That report by Moki Kinzaka brings us to half past five Central African time. And as promised, here's Jola Netula with the news headlines. Thank you, Luanda. Making headlines, former Vice President of Zimbabwe, Emerson Mnangagwa, has arrived in the country to be sworn in as the country's interim leader on Friday. He is expected to address supporters at the ZANU-PF headquarters in Harare and hold a media briefing. Reports from Nigeria claim that over 100 people have been killed and dozens others injured over the last 48 hours in two separate attacks. And finally, Lebanon's Prime Minister Saad Hariri says he's postponing his resignation, which he had unexpectedly announced two weeks ago while in Saudi Arabia. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Welcome back and let's say thank you very much there to Jolani with that news headlines. It brings us to almost 28 minutes before 6 Central African time. Now, South Africa through the Department of Transport uh, hosted the Botswana in Namibia today to strengthen relations and improve cross-border transactions and customs operations along the Transkalahari Corridor. The corridor, which was jointly developed in the 1990s, was formed with the objective to contribute and jointly de- 
in fact to promote trade within the three, stra- three states through transport efficiency. To tell us more about this, here's Executive Director of the Trans-Kalahari Corridor Secretariat, Leslie Mpofu and Philip Daibosh from the South African National Taxi Council. The main purpose of the of the corridor is to facilitate trade so that trade can move along the corridor uh, without any impediment sure. and and um, uh, one thing that is key about about the the trans uh, the, the, the corridor is that it's not only a, a transport corridor but we are also trying to develop it further to to be an economic corridor or a developmental corridor so that even the communities where the, the corridor trans, transverse they can actually get a living out of the corridor because you know that wherever you have a corridor or a road uh, you know employment also has to be to be generated mm. so the corridor stretches from a distance of 1900 kilometers okay, from wow. from Welvis Bay okay. to to the Houting uh, province right. uh, to channel or trade along Yes. yes, yes. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you've noticed in terms of, I know we were here the <coughs> last year, and we have this year in 2017. Yes. Have we seen any uh, improvements in this route? Have yes, we, 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 we have seen some... Uh, some steady increase in the in, in the use of the corridor in terms of the volumes trade that moves along the corridor it has, it, it, it has gone up and Botswana was also given a uh, land within the well, port of well, that airport which was okay. which which was now which is now fast, uh, operational so now we are expecting even more movement, movement. Yeah. okay and, and and Zimbabwe has also been given land that they are quite developing now but and we are also seeing a steady increase of, of volume from uh, on the TKC but destined to Zimbabwe because the mm-hmm. TKC complements other corridors mm-hmm. uh, like the North-South Corridor to Zimbabwe okay. as well as the Maputo-South Corridor. So so there is steady increase not only in terms of trade because we are not facilitating all trade but also movement of people, tourism. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are getting a lot of to- tourists now u- using the corridor. Philip Daibosh who is the president of Santaco. Someone would say why would Santaco come to a gathering like this but we know the transportation system is very much linked to the uh, the taxi system and it's very sophisticated in the SADC region. Taxis are almost a, a very much important part of the transport system in, in the SADC region. Tell us a little bit about why you thought as a taxi body that you should be here and be part of the conversations taking place here firstly let me indicate that uh, as the taxi industry we are the biggest transporter of public transport users in the country Mm. and uh, what is happening is that uh, we've got all these countries uh, which are in africa which are uh, actually uh, doing business with South Africa, associating with South Africa, and our taxes are in all these countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are here because we are the biggest road user of this uh, Trans-Kalahari Road, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, uh, connects South Africa, which connects Namibia, uh, which connects uh, Zimbabwe, which connects everybody. Sure. And we are here to come and ensure that uh, we um, give our support to the Minister of Transport, Mr. Joe Masungwani, and to the MEC of Transport here, to say that as a taxi industry, we will continue striving because what we have seen from government, and we must give credit to where it is due, what we have seen is the good roads which we are having in, in, in our country. 
and we must say to them that uh, they must continue building these good roads so that we can be able also to produce good vehicles which can transport the passengers we, without uh, putting them into danger. As a taxi industry, you would remember that we are known for uh, very uh, bad things, yeah. including driver's behavior, including also the speeding on the roads, yes, yeah. and inc including also the, the quality of vehicles which we're using. But I'm, I'm happy today that I can tell you that uh, through the recapitalization program of government, mm which we don't say that it has given everything. It is lacking on everything, but I must indicate that uh, uh, I, 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 I want to use this uh, saying which says, uh, better half a loaf than nothing. <laughs> well, uh, let's, let's look at those technicalities that you've highlighted, some of the challenges in the taxi industry itself. And one of the biggest thing is actually facilitation of the routes themselves. And sometimes that's a big challenge and a contest within the um, taxi industry. I'm interested in a broader bigger routes such as the one of the Trans-Kalahari Corridor, how do you actually make sure that the routes are not actually fought for in a uh, harsh and contested way, but in a very much well-managed way to actually make sure there's facilitation even with the other countries outside of South Africa, for example? I'm sure you would be my witness that we never had problems yeah. with uh, the cross-border. We call it the cross-border uh, road transportation. What happened is that uh, it's like also with the local routes, mm. that uh, the two uh, uh, servicing stations, we call them point A and point B. Mm. For instance, if you stay in Botswana, we'll say that's your point A. Ah. If you stay in South Africa, it will be your point A. But your destination, mm. it's your point B. And also the same. Mm. Now, what is happening is that these two operators are meeting to discuss even the fares. Mm. What, what would be the face of transporting the passengers okay, okay. and they are working that out and that's why we don't have uh, hassles, we don't have fights, but are looking into joining our counterparts in Botswana, Zambia and Zimbabwe mm. and Swaziland to also assist them so that we can have now a, a, a so-called SADAC transport mm. uh, organization which will be able to offer the necessary transportation to the people. That is Philip Daibos from the South African National Taxi Council and you also heard from the Executive Director of the Transkalahari Corridor Secretariat, Leslie Mpofu. They were talking there to Benjamin Moshatama. Visual impairment remains a significant health problem globally. An estimated 253 million people around the world live with some form of vision impairment. Most of them are in low- and middle-income settings. But with today's knowledge and technology, up to 80% of blindness is preventable and treatable. Unfortunately, people often ignore early signs of vision problems, hoping their eyesight will miraculously clear up, which according to the eye care professionals rarely happens. In our weekly look at health issues, we focus attention on some of the most commonly diagnosed eye conditions with Dr. Lawrence Kutsier, founding member and an ophthalmologist at the South African Health Healthcare Organization and Vision Center for Sight. He explains why eye health is important. Our eyes are one of our five senses and we actually connect to our outside world using our eyes. We use it for our daily activities, in our occupation and I've seen so many patients that have lost sight and it's quite devastating and that's why 
it is so important to actually look after our own eyesight and after our eyes. With our eyes playing such a pivotal role in our everyday lives, what are some of the reasons why people tend to ignore early signs of vision problems? Some of the eye conditions are what I call slow, silent killers of sight, especially in glaucoma. And glaucoma is a disease that slowly takes away your eyesight and it's on the far outer side of your vision. So people don't recognize it until the eye disease has progressed far beyond where we can actually have a meaningful intervention. That's why people have to go each and every year to have their eyes checked out, especially if they're older than 40 and your optometrist that is closest to you, they are ideally trained and equipped to check your eyes and to see whether you don't have one of these preventable conditions that can actually steal your eyesight without you knowing it. You mentioned glaucoma. Tell us about other common diagnosed eye conditions that you think it's important for people to know about. Most probably the most common condition affecting our elderly population is cataracts. And cataracts is cloudiness of the lens. A cataract can be treated quite well Technology has advanced quite significantly. What is important to know about a cataract is that it will not cause permanent blindness. It can always be dealt with by an ophthalmologist. So what normally happens is the patient will realize, now I can't see well, they will go to their optometrist and the optometrist will see, I cannot correct this patient's vision with glasses and then they will be referred to the ophthalmologist where the cataract will be managed by an operation that takes about 20 minutes and is very safe and we can really make an impact in that person's life. Other conditions which also affect especially our diabetics is diabetic retinopathy. In diabetic retinopathy, because of the high blood sugar levels, it causes certain changes at the back of the eye. The eye, there's a lack of oxygen and then you get ugly blood vessels growing at the back of the eye and this causes leakage of fluid and swelling of the part in the eye which we call the retina which is used actually to capture the images. If not treated by an ophthalmologist as well as by the physician looking after the sugar levels can actually lead to complete blindness. Another condition which is also quite prevalent in the elderly population is macular degeneration. In these conditions, you find that the central vision is affected by certain blood vessels that develop behind the part of the eye that captures images and to distortion of images. It can also be where you just get total loss of that part of the eye due to photoreceptors dying off the part of the eye that needs to capture the images. Are there certain people that are more prone to having eye problems or is this something that affects everyone? Eye problems affect everyone. Nobody is immune to eye conditions, especially those that are related to age. And you will not know that you have some of these conditions unless you go for your yearly screening. Is it possible in most cases to preserve healthy vision and how does one do this? Of course, diet is extremely important. Studies were done on macular degeneration and they have found that certain nutrients definitely 
slow the progression of macular degeneration. Having a healthy diet with enough leafy green foods definitely will slow the progression of any age-related process. The other thing also which is quite important is that to have enough exercise and to actually prevent you getting diabetes. We know if you can prevent yourself from getting diabetes, you will actually prevent yourself from getting diabetic eye disease. There was a lot of studies done trying to, to determine if one can prevent cataracts. A cataract is an age-related process. There are some factors that play the role that makes you get cataracts at an earlier age, but at least we can manage cataracts quite well. For glaucoma, it's more inherited conditions. So for glaucoma, it's difficult to identify certain factors and protect yourself from that. So that's why I would rather advocate that you go and have yourself screened once a year. And there's many screening programs running for glaucoma in the month of March. Still on that, let's talk about the importance of regular eye examinations by an eye care professional. And what should such an exam include? There's two stages where you should have your eyes checked out. One such time is in our children before they go to school. They will need their eyesight to progress through their grades, so you want them to be checked whether their vision are adequate, whether they need spectacles, and that can be done by an optometrist. Then another time in your life when it is good to start having your regular yearly eye visits or when you are above the age of 40 because we know that is the stage where glaucoma starts to set in and what the optometrist will do in those cases is they will check your vision, they will see whether you need spectacles, they will also check your pressure. If they feel that there's any condition that should be assessed or should be treated, they will then refer you to an eye specialist or an ophthalmologist. That is Dr. Lawrence Kutsia. He's the founding member and an ophthalmologist at the South African Healthcare Organization and Vision Center for Sight. Talking there to Elizabeth Lidiha. With that, it's 14 minutes before 6. Let's get to a look at the latest economics. Here's with Sani Matebula. Good afternoon. Thanks, uh, Leander. South African cement producer PPC's border turned its back on a takeover attempt by AfriSem, backed by Canadian firm Fairfax Africa Investments. PPC is still talking to Ireland, CRH and Swiss group Lafarge Wholesome. PPC has been a takeover target on and off for several years with local-based AfriSem, Nigeria's Dangote Cement, Irish building company firm uh, CRH and Switzerland's Lafarge Wholesome are all interested in it. And South African construction firm Group 5 will sell a 50% stake in its steel pipe business for 5.76 million US dollars to LB Pipes as part of plans to exit uh, non-core assets. Group 5 says it will sell its manufacturing arm and exit some construction businesses as part of a further reconstruction and to address a slump in its home market. South Africa's construction business has slowed sharply since the 2010 FIFA World Cup. Meanwhile, South Africa hosted Botswana and Namibia to strengthen relations and improve cross-border transactions and customs operations along the Trans-Kalahari Corridor. The corridor seeks to promote trade within the three states. Event organizer Leslie Mpofu. The main 
purpose of the of the corridor is to facilitate trade okay. so that trade can move along the corridor uh, without any impediment sure. and and um, uh, one thing that is key about about the the trans uh, the, the, the corridor is that it's not only a, a transport corridor but we are also trying to develop it further to to be an economic corridor or a developmental corridor so that even the communities where the, the corridor trans, transverse they can actually get a living out of the corridor to North Africa now in Egypt, where the country is set to receive its next International Monetary Fund loan dispersal in December, a two billion US dollars payment that is part of a three-year, twelve billion US dollar loan agreement. The payment will bring total disbursements under the program to about six billion US dollars. Egypt last year agreed to an ambitious economic reform as part of uh, the loan deal. And Facebook will open a community hub space in Nigeria next year to encourage software developers and technology entrepreneurs and become the latest technology giant to pursue a training program in fast-growing Africa. The U.S. social media company said the center will host an incubator program to help develop technology startups, while it will also train 50,000 Nigerians in digital skills. Africa's rapid population growth, falling data costs, and heavy adoption of mobile phones rather than PCs is attracting technology companies looking to attract more users. Financial indicators now, the dollar at uh, 14.03 South African rents, 10.41 Botswana Pula and 10.05 Zambian Kwacha also trading at 75 pence to the British pound and 85 cents against the euro. Gold at $1,280, platinum $930 per fine ounce, Brent crude oil $63.02 per barrel. And that's how it's looking right now. Ten minutes before five, let's get your spots. Here's uh, Musibudi Makura. Good evening, sports fans. I am Musibu Dimakura with the latest sports news at the Sawa. The Nigerian Football Federation will pay players and officials a total of 2.4 million US dollars as a bonus for securing qualification for the 2018 FIFA Soccer World Cup in Russia. According to NFF spokesperson Adamola Olaji, the NFF have agreed to give the team 2.4 million US dollars out of the 5.8 million US dollars they are expecting from FIFA. Now, the NFF have also agreed other payments and benefits to the team to avoid a pay row that marred Nigeria's participation at the 2014 World Cup in Brazil. Back home on a historic night when Robert Mugabe finally relinquished power, resigning as Zimbabwe president after 37 years at the helm, it was symbolic that Zimbabwean international Kama Biliad scored a brace for Mamelodi Sundowns as they beat Bedvets Vets 2-0 in an APSA premiership match played at the Bedvets Stadium on Tuesday night. Now, Zimbabwe had to set out the 2018 World Cup qualifiers because they were banned by FIFA from participating as a punishment for failing to pay one of their former co 
approaches. As the country's economy continued to cripple, so were the challenges for the Zimbabwe Football Association. Biliatu helped his country to play in the Africa Cup of Nations tournament for the first time in 10 years in Gabon earlier this year, says the development back home are worth celebrating. Don't really like to talk about yeah. politics, but it's always a relief when the whole nation is happy, man. It has been long. We haven't been celebrating together like this. We always mind our own business, but look, the whole nation come together and celebrating to one thing is very important. Really yeah, yeah, no, man. The whole world is happy for us. Uh, I hope we will take it from there positively. Well, the Sasso League National Women's Championships will be held in the Mpumalanga province from the 4th up until the 9th of December and the draw took place at the Safa House in Johannesburg on Tuesday afternoon. Now, good news is the increase in overall price money increasing to 36,000 US dollars with the winners pocketing 14,000 US dollars. Head of Group Marketing at Sasso Nozi Pombata says the increase in prize money as part of the elements of a new sponsorship deal between the two parties. Yeah. So it was part of the um, uh, um, discussions as we were going through the renewal uh, discussions with our partners at SAFA and we said, what is so one of the questions were, what can we do that is going to really show how committed we are um, to the growth of women's football and that we're in this for the long haul. It's not just, I mean, it's been ongoing for a couple of years now, but what is it that we can do to keep the teams motivated and show our commitment? And the prize money was one of the many elements. And finally, in cricket news, Proteus legend Lance Klusner hopes that the developments in Zimbabwe over the last few days and the resignation of President Robert Mugabe will inspire a new dawn as well as for cricket in the country. Klusner is currently serving as Zimbabwe's batting coach and has developed a close relationship with the nation since taking the job midway through last year. The financial struggles plaguing Zimbabwe cricket have been well documented in the last five, um, past years as are the sport fell victim to a Mugabe leadership that spanned 37 years. Now, Klusner knows that the change will not happen immediately, but is looking ahead and is hopeful that the new beginning will help Zimbabwe cricket get back to where it was before. Meanwhile, Klusner and his charges will be in South Africa on Boxing Day, that is the 26th of December, when they take on the Proteus and the first ever four-day test in Port Elizabeth. Well, those are sports news at the sound. Stay tuned to Channel Africa for more news from an African perspective. This is Africa Digest. Let's close the show now by taking a quick recap of your top stories. Uh, Zimbabwe's incoming leader arrives to a hero's welcome in Harare. Visual impairment remains a significant health problem globally. That brings us to the end of Africa Digest for this hour. From myself, your host, Luanda Maume, technical producer, Dumelo Mukwena, and the rest of the team, thank you for listening. Taking us to the top of the hour is the music of AKA and Anati. This one is called Ten Fingers. I paid the price to be the main man 
had a special button for the nitro I'm getting money like the white folks Ten fingers on the Bible Tell me what your space is I walk in, the whole club was empty Now it's a situation I'm so tired, I'm so dumb, pretending like I remember faces Smoking loud, I'm thinking how did you get this invitation Tough the combination Whoa, she gon' lose tomorrow I set her free like Serafina Then make it back tomorrow Come fuck with me, I got the keys Come play on my piano Let's jump in my piano I got faith, I hope you don't fade When it's time for spin the bottle hey. Now we swimming in the deep end Block a block of playing defense Come a, come a, come a the end Was a, was a, was a weekend Middle fingers up in the end Tell my haters they can eat shit Take the elevator to the suite You gon' wake up in my t-shirt I paid the price to be the main man Ten years running with the same guy Now they recognize me like a name brand I think my future needs some rebates Pull up in the spot, take a photo Smoke it loud, you can smell it from the corner Mama proud, I just bought a, a new auto All the haters, they gon' follow love. I got my Maggie, got a
Titika mu Afrika.